I'm not just fiddling around to make the pedal look like a pedal. I'm trying to understand, well, how does that go from a, a light, light yellow to a warm yellow, then to a medium light warm yellow? And then how does that rest next to this background? And then the background feels like it's coming over the pedal. And so I'm making these adjustments, not really thinking about the form, but I'm thinking about the space and the air and the light and how it's changing. And so that's changed everything in how I'm thinking about the subject of my work. I mean, because it really could be anything. I, it, you know, it doesn't, it's not so much about the object so much as, as it is now about this fleeting light or fleeting you know, space that these things are inhabiting. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 168th episode, I am glad to be joined by Philip Jackson, who is a painter and the head of painting, actually, at the University of Mississippi in Oxford. We're going to talk to him a little bit about his new series, Prelude, some of his other still life paintings and perceptual painting in general. So again, please stay tuned. It's a great interview and great to have him on. And if this is your first visit to Studio Break, we want to encourage you to check out other episodes, of course. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their website so you can find out more information. Again, you can listen right there in the default player, or you could easily follow that link to the iTunes store. Subscribe to the podcast, download it, and rate and review it. Again, we really appreciate that, of course. But again, you can easily go and scroll through all the episodes that you might have missed. Again, it's nice uh, thoughts to listen to while working in the studio. If you want to stay up to date with Studio Break, please check us out on social media. Of course, you can like our Facebook page and share your art there. Say hello. You can also follow us on Tumblr, that's studio-break.tumblr. And as always, you can send cool tweets and say hello, share announcements, all sorts of good artwork on our Twitter account, that's at Studio Break. So please say hello there as well. And with that out of the way, here is our wonderful interview with Philip Jackson. So stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Philip Jackson. How are you doing this fine morning? Doing great, David. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. Again, it'll be really interesting to talk about your lineage. Again, uh, there's something about talking to someone that went to BG, uh, and I was kind of uh, joking with you about this earlier. But again, there's that kind of like history to art, and you know, learning from you know the people that came before. So again, I, I think there's something to that. And uh, again, uh, remind me where where are we uh, talking with you from today? Where are you at? I live in Oxford, Mississippi, which is about an hour south from Memphis, Tennessee, and um, where I teach at the University of Mississippi. I head the painting area here. And uh, how long have you been? How long have you been out there? Oh gosh, um, I've been here ten years. Believe it or not, it's, it seems like a flash in the pan, but yeah, it's been ten years. Interesting. Interesting. And again, we're going to break down, obviously, uh, some of the history of your painting and, of course, talk about this upcoming show a little bit later on. Okay. And again, we always kind of like to start off way back in the day because, again, like I was saying to you earlier, I'm, I'm looking at your work and it's so you know, <laughs> detail-oriented and so precise and objective. Um, I'm curious, was that something that was always uh, ingrained in you, like uh, making, drawing as a kid? 
you know, when I was when I was younger, I really didn't understand. I didn't have any idea that what the art world was. I mean, I, you know, my 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 family life was, you know, we're a family of like preachers and singers, and um, you know, and it's it that actually goes back several generations, which is interesting. So, you know, my my grandfather and my father would preach revivals, and we'd go around and sing. And so, really, the only the only time that I was ever really making art was. <laughs> when I was in church, and uh, so I had a sketchbook that I would that I would just kind of bring with me and and color. Most of my time making work was um, I actually traced like cartoons and stuff, mm-hmm. which was really interesting. You know, just I just really wanted to understand how to control, you know, a line because it frustrated me when I couldn't achieve you know a certain sense of resolution. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, some of those formative experiences work, and um, I don't know. I remember myself. Uh, trying to draw musculatures for, uh, you know, superheroes and stuff like that, you know, getting anatomy completely wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but did that eventually kind of like become something like, again, I know, cause again, everybody's experience changes so much, but sure. like in terms of like grade school and, and kind of growing up through high school, I mean, was that something that you kind of wanted to pursue or were you kind of interested in, you know, the, the baseball or whatnot? <laughs> you know, I- Everything was sort of mediocre. I mean, I tried, um, I played soccer for a long time, for many years, and then I also um, played in the band for a few years. But after middle school, that sort of fell off. But I I didn't really know that I had a talent until it was, um, I guess I was in fifth grade. I did this project, and I still remember it to this day. We had this project to recreate like a master copy. Mm -hmm. And um, I was flipping through this magazine and saw this cave painting. And really I had no idea what I was looking at. You know, I thought it was just some cool image. And here it was, you know, the very beginning of a painting heritage. And so I picked this image and, um, constructed this, took this brown paper and, and crumpled it up and distressed it, you know, to create like this rock, you know, wall, and then did the drawing on top of it. And it, and it went on to win all these crazy awards and and all this stuff that I had, I never knew was even out there or possible. And um, so it kind of sparked an interest. I thought, wow, you know, people are really responding to something that I made. And, and you know, that had never happened before. And through high school, you know, I always took art classes, you know, all the way through. I was really interested in industrial arts at the time. Uh, we, we built a lot of projects and clocks and stuff like that. And that was always a lot of fun. So working with my hands was really important. But in high school, you know, there was a few years where, the, you know, I had really, I had really had a hard time just being in school because, um, you know, I was such a right brain learner that, you know, just basic subjects became really tough for me. So I kind of, uh, used the art classes to, to find a way to sort of find my grounding and, and find myself again. And, um, yeah, it was a big help. And so kind of like leaving that, that kind of high school experience, um, was that something then that you kind of actively pursued that when you decided that you were going to go to college or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So while I was in high school, I guess it was my sophomore year. I, I was really, I had a really kind of a, a tough, I was in a tough place because uh, my, academically my grades weren't so hot and uh, I was just having a lot of learning difficulties. And, and back then I don't think that they really understood, you know, ADD or ADHD like they do now. And, but I think there was some, some kind of learning deficiency that, that wouldn't allow me to, 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 you know, keep at an average. So uh, I found this, um, technical school that was about an hour away 
And you had to get up at like five o'clock in the morning and drive to this one place and then catch a bus to go to this other place. Mm -hmm. But when I got there, what I realized is that, you know, you could focus on art all day long. And so, you know, it was a commercial art program. We did a lot of projects that were graphic design based and illustration based. And, you know, my grades just completely changed. It was like a 4.0 both years. And I finally realized that that's what I needed. I needed to be in an environment where it was surrounded around art. So math and English, all those things were dealing with art problems. And so it was just a a wonderful experience for me that, you know, couldn't see reasons why, you know, to understand these archaic ways of thinking, you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so while I was there, a friend of mine applied to Columbus College of Art and Design, and he got this huge scholarship. And I'm like, wow, I mean, you know, my work's not that bad you know, maybe I should apply. And so I applied and got a scholarship and I applied to the art Academy of Cincinnati, got a scholarship there, but I decided to go to CCAD because he was there and, and I went there and it was just a great, you know, it seemed like a great place to, to learn. And, and, and so that's where I went from high school. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you kind of talk about that experience. Um, because, you know, I think even for myself, I was kind of in a similar place, you know, and maybe it's weird because you get old enough where you're like, man, that was a long time ago. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, again, because I was like in terms of some of the other subjects that people typically kind of explore in high school. I mean, again, it's really that kind of like focus, but especially time that you spend, you know, that you can be focused making something that I, I do think it. I don't know. Obviously, people would almost describe it as like uh, therapy, like when I would get to <laughs> get, yeah. to, get to like a you know, like a BFA program or something like that. But Mm -hmm. in in a way, again, I mean, it might be just, again, yeah, some some people just function a lot better when they have that kind of energy to focus on something. Sure. And again, it's interesting. Like I was saying, it always surprises me doing these discussions because, again, that makes uh, total sense. Um, Yeah. And I feel like I was, in some cases, I understand what that, I feel like I understand that experience a little bit. Um, Right. So so in terms of your, I guess, initial uh, studying at uh, CCAD, is again just remind I guess every everyone that might not know I mean and I might not know but I, I assume that again there's a pretty um, rigorous uh, and objective way of uh, working through uh, painting and drawing and, and things like that but what was the program like when you started? Well, you know, the, I think the program today is a very different program than it is you know than it was when when I was there, and um, you know it was it was the most intense thing I think I've ever experienced. I mean, even more so in a lot of ways than, you know, than graduate school. Everyone there was the best of the best from around the country. I mean, they've been re- recruited to be there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we here we are. We take, you know, foundations classes, but we're taking painting. We're taking drawing, 2D design, 3D design, all these classes. And the, and the wonderful thing, I think, that they had had so many years to develop the program is is that what you were dealing with in 2D, you were dealing with in 3D. And what you were dealing with in painting, you were dealing with in drawing. And, and everything sort of intermingled your thoughts. So you, when you were there, you were thinking about your project that you had to finish in the other areas. And so that fluidity between um, the classes, I think, is what really helped students like retain information and build so quickly, you know, in such a strong um, format of of color and, and observation and, you know, perceptual thinking. Um, it was a strong program. I mean, I remember my color concept class, one of the, one of the best teachers I ever had, um, that really got real with me (laughs) Mm -hmm. was, uh, 
Tam Peterson, and she there, there it wouldn't I wouldn't surprise me if we came in and she would take works off the wall and just turn them over and say we're not going to talk about this because the effort of of work is just not there, and I don't think that it's fair to the rest of the class that we even discuss it. And there were there were stories of um, Kanzani that was the por- former you know president that he would he would literally throw cro- works across the room and and throw them in the garbage and say you know get out of my class because you didn't you didn't bring the effort to the class and so there was that like intimidation factor and competition that everyone sort of really you either bred off of it or you left because you couldn't take it and so you know the the class would start out you know our 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 freshman class would start at like 400 and then you know half of them would drop out before the end of the year i mean it was just so intense but you know for me i needed i needed something that held me to the fire you know and and it was perfect for me and and it was and it fueled my competitive spirit i mean it was it was great but I, i'm curious in a, in a place like that i mean is it something where everyone winds up focusing in, in the same kind of way in terms of like working from making things that are representational or is is there variation um because again, like again, in my experience going going to undergrad, um, it seems like there's a lot more um, interest in the process of painting and abstraction, mm-hmm. and so the kind of work that you get out of that winds up being a little bit different. So I'm just kind of curious yeah. if there's a overall tight focus of everybody, you know, working really representationally and, and just kind of right. becoming a master of their materials. Right. Well, you know, you have to remember the time, uh, the faculty that was there. I mean, I would say. My, I would say that the majority of the faculty were representational painters. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so I think naturally there, there's going to be the tendency to, to not, they, I didn't ever feel that was pushed upon me, but I mean, you couldn't help but understand that there was something they were trying to, to give you when you, in every class you were painting from life mm-hmm. and, and no photograph. I mean, only from life. And so the experience was important to them. And you could see it in their work. And so I think everyone had a real deep respect, you know, for for the quality of that education because they knew that the faculty weren't just sort of coming to class and just saying, okay, paint, and that's it. They they were coming from a, a real um a real conviction from their own work. They'd be in the studio the day before and they would be talking about the things they were they were in love with. But the one thing I did find even though that was the case where most of the faculty were representational, I mean, there were several painters that were um, abstract-based and, and some, you know, kind of crossing the lines between abstraction and, and representation, is that, you know, the students, you know, certainly pushed the boundaries of that. I mean, there, there, was, there was really, David, there was really more of a, a kind of a, a small little group of, of us that, held true all the way through to like painting from life or representation. You know, if I go back and look at all the senior shows that were up, I would say that a quarter of all the shows, and again, the shows that we had there were, you know, they would, they would do 60 shows a year. Mm-hmm. Um, there were 60 students graduating. And so we would have a show every week. And um, I'd say within all those shows, I mean, maybe 10 of them would be representational. So, I mean, it was, and it was all across the board from performance to uh, installation to photography to anything that was, you know, cutting edge. And I mean, each area within printmaking and media studies, um, sculpture, you know, ceramics, they were all kind of looking at people that were, you know, trying to push the envelope of materiality and, 
and process. Um, so there was just a few of us that kind of held on to these traditions that, that our faculty loved. Interesting. You know, and again, I, maybe in terms of thinking about my question, you know, people kind of think about school some ways and like almost like a mythology, you know, like, especially if you've never experienced them. So mm-hmm. again, it's interesting to think about that. And I think there's always kind of like a diversity, you know, everywhere, you know, you talk to someone that's at a very um, conceptually driven school where, you know, nobody paints, but then there's always that lone, you know, <laughs> painter that needs, you know what I mean? So again, yeah. and also finds a way. So again, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and, and kind of mentioning like senior senior shows and that. What, uh-huh. what kind of work did you uh, leave uh, making there? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I had started when I um, I guess when I started really pushing painting in, in my you know at the end of my sophomore year, beginning junior year, I was painting big and I was painting figuratively, and so um, and very blocky. I, there was um, at the Columbus Museum of Art, there was a huge collection of George Bellows. I mean, probably one of the largest collections that I know of there. And they had it up for several years while I was there. And, and I would go over there at least once a week. And I would look at the bellows and I would look at this painting by Hopper called Morning Sun. And every day, I mean, it was just, it was something that was so remarkable about, you know, the physicality of, of um, bellows work that made me think about, <clears throat> you know, how, how to make that feel like flesh or how to, how to make me, how to make that feel like, you know, it has a presence in the painting. And so most of my paintings, several of them were very large. And then, you know, I was losing something because I wasn't able to paint them from life and I was painting them from, you know, photographs I'd taken. And so I was making up a lot of information that I really didn't know. And, uh, so, um, I decided to go, uh, really small and set up, just a simple still life. I thought, well, I'll just go back to the basics and kind of build my knowledge and observation. So I did these, you know, four or five little paintings that I set up. They were like four by six inches. And, um, and so I started, you know, falling and seeing, you know, the presence of the human in these, in these simple setups. I thought, wow, you know, I see a person here, so maybe I can do this. And so I, I, I did a series of, of, of still lives where I was exploring the space and sort of an invented space, I would use like almost two or three different light sources. So I'd have all these different patterns of shadows and reflections. And so I built my whole show um, around this idea of creating little paintings that were four by six inches. And and the, the significance, funny enough, was at the time I was an RA in the dorm. And um, the room that they gave us was... Uh, was a very small room, but the space that I had to paint in was four feet by six feet. <laughs> and so, so I didn't have very much room to step back and I knew I had to keep them small so that I could see what I was doing. And, um, so I made the whole show was made, um, you know, in that little room, these little tiny paintings of, you know, observed, um, little objects. It's interesting to think about objects as people. And I was going to say that, you know, we we're talking about a, a car earlier that I that I let go of uh, that have been rolling around in for fifteen years. Um, right. But again, it's just an object. So to, to walk right. away from it is kind of a weird thing. But yeah. you know, we get so uh, so much history with things that we wind up using a lot. You know, I mean things sure. things that are just around us. And um, and again, it's interesting because in a in a world where everything is so uh, material and it's so easy to mm-hmm. have, you know, to go to the grocery store. Or, use Amazon prime to just like replace something <laughs> right. to think about that idea of, of still life. Um, 
you know, and what that can mean or what these objects might mean. What was interesting too, David, is that, you know, to go to the still life was almost like, you know, a suicide sentence, you know, I mean, it, it, it's sort of like the thing that you, 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 if you didn't do, if you didn't do anything, don't do still life, you know? And, um, and that was, that was my mentality. I thought, well, who, who in the, who in the right mind would make a serious painting? Who could make a serious painting on the still life? Because of like the predominant, um, saccharine and kind of ornamental treatment associated with the subject. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming. The market's flooded with them. And so when you tell someone you're doing the still life, all they think of, is basket and flowers. And so, but you know, what my, you know, my interest was if I could take the subject, you know, that's been painted over and over and over again and somehow, you know, imbue it with a new life, you know, that, that was, that was sort of like a challenge to me. I thought, you know, that maybe there's a way to do this. And, um, so my paintings are not your grandmother's still life. I mean, they're they're cer- certainly beyond just manufactured, you know, decoration. And so, how do, how did you wind up uh, moving on from from BG? Were you recruited uh, there, or I, I was I was interested in going to grad school to really continue the education, and 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 I had really no intentions of teaching, to be honest. I mean, I just wanted to be a painter, mm-hmm. um, and and sort of had this, you know. Um, really bright idea that, you know, I could still do that. And, um, when I, when I applied, I applied to several places and, and, but Bowling Green had a, had a lot to offer. I mean, for one, Dennis Vlokevich was the main painting professor there. And there was a great drawing, um, teacher, Charles Kamwisher. And, um, you know, when I got there, they, they were just so interested in what I was doing and seemed like they would promoted a really creative atmosphere to learn in. And at the same time, um, Dennis said, if you come here, we'll, we'll get you to Italy at some point. I'm like, dude, where, where do I sign? You know? (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) I mean, on top of that, they offered me a full scholarship. And so, you know, that was, um, that was a real, real blessing to be able to, to go to school and and not have to pay and, and be paid to really to be there. And so kind of getting into that experience, um, you know, usually joke around about how like the take all the things that you applied with and kind of like turn them on their head and just be like, stop doing that. <laughs> I, I'm curious, especially kind of knowing uh, the work of some of the professors that you mentioned, especially Dennis. Yeah. Was that something where they kind of did try to throw you to the wolves or was it more kind of like, how, how do we elevate, you know, something like um, still life painting? You know, Because yeah. again, these are both kind of artists at work, you know, maybe very representationally. And, right. Um, Right. I mean, you think about it with that, with other people's experiences. That's something that literally does kind of happen, you know. Sure. Where they're just like, "Oh, this is a, you know garbage." Kind of start over here. <laughs> you know, when I went to go study with Dennis, I sort in my mind, I had no idea what honestly graduate school experience was about, David. I mean, I was clueless. Mm-hmm. And um, but when I got there, I, I, I my, in my mind, I was thinking, "I'm going to go study with Dennis like an atelier." I mean, that's kind of how I felt. You know, that it was going to be like you know, and you know, when I got there. Dennis was, you know, in hindsight, he was very, he was very thoughtful in how he worked with me. And, um, you know, he, he knew that I didn't know a lot about graduate school. And I think he, you know, took the time to, to show me, you know, what it was about. And so, you know, we talked a lot about what, how to create an idea and what that means to build, build ideas versus just technical, you know, virtuosity. And that's really was more of my interest. I, I wanted to learn how to paint better. And so I wanted to learn how he's, how he's making these amazing fruit paintings and, and how to create these glazes and, 
you know, this, this hidden light from within the painting. I was just, you know, mesmerized by that. And, but, you know, it was, um, it was an interesting experience. You know, my first semester we had to pick our committees and I picked, um, of course, Mila was on the committee, Dennis and, um, let's see, Professor Glanz was an art historian and, and Mike Arrigo. And, you know, they, they were all very, very supportive, but they, you know, at the end they were sort of like, all right, you, you, you've been making this painting, even though it's a different painting, you've still been making this painting, you know, over and over again. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? (laughs) What's that supposed to mean? You know, it's a still life. What do you want me to do? You know, paint a landscape. And then, (laughs) so there was certainly that frustration that happened. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't really prepared for, um, but, but, you know, Dennis really took his time to, to, to explain, you know, the process of what, what it means to be in grad school. And that changed a lot for me. Were there any like painters, especially at the time that you started looking at that you kind of pulled from, or, you know, kind of used to kind of think about how your work might kind of evolve to that like different level that they're talking about? Sure. Well, you know, for me, David, the, 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 the pinnacle was just to be a better still life painter. I didn't want to change the genre. I was not interested. And, and I defended that. I, I, I said, you know, look, that I feel like this is a platform that could speak on a, in a contemporary way. Um, it's, it's just my job to figure that out. And so that was, you know, what I was trying to do. I was, but I was looking at every still, I mean, I, I knew every still life painter that was alive, that was dead. You know, um, I mean, I, I had did, I've done my research and I was telling, you know, them artists that they had never even heard of because I mean, that's, that's, I felt like I didn't have the research coming there. And so I, that's what I started doing is trying to figure out, well, who's doing this and what, how are they, how are they treating the subject and how are they moving past, you know, what's been regurgitated and, you know, overdone. So, you know, when I, when I was there, I was looking a lot at, uh, there was a, there's a painter in the West coast, his name is, uh, Michael, uh, Tompkins. And, uh, he paints the still life. And I, I, when I, I went there to the Navy pier in Chicago and saw a show of his at the, um, Paul Thibode gallery. And, uh, and they blew me away. I mean, they were these, these, these strong, like panoramas of these stacked, um, still lives, much like Mirandi and, and Bailey would do, but they had this, um, this intensity of the color, that was almost like pop art. I mean, it had this really, you know, this real boost or real strength to the power of the color. And so I I was really looking at his work for for a long time. Of course, I was, you know, mesmerized by Mirandi, you know, and how he would create these spaces with these three-dimensional objects and and messing with your, the way that you would look at the, the physical space, you know. And he was certainly someone that was helping me, you know, navigate, placement of object space between object and then um another artist that i've always loved his work um there was a great painting at the uh, toledo museum of art by henry uh fanton latour and um it, it's the most beautiful painting i think i still have ever seen it's of this um dish of tangerines and, and this bouquet of flowers but you know again if you said that to someone, they're going to say, oh, yeah, I've seen that painting. Um, but y- you haven't seen this painting. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, he, ha- he had this ability to to really understand what it meant to give the object its physical character. I mean, it, it wasn't just a, a replication of 
you know, um, an illusion of, of the image. It went beyond that. I mean, it's, it had this physicality to it that he understood, you know, when an orange sat in front of another orange or a, a, a petal, you know, in front of another petal, there was just like, there, there was a sense of space in the physical properties of the paint, which blew me away. Well, and one of the things that you had kind of maybe mentioned a little bit earlier too, is this opportunity to go to Italy then. I mean, I still remember the trip. I mean, I, I, it was, it was, it was a life changing trip. We, um, David, in fact, at the same time, uh, uh, David Jewell and I were, were attending BG and, um, we, we both were going to go. And so I, um, coordinated the trip and David sort of, um, you know, came, came, we, we went together. And, and so we started, um, in London and, you know, it was such a wonderful thing, but when we got to London, at the at the uh, National Gallery, there was a retrospective of Vermeer, so so that started our trip. Right. <laughs> I mean, here we are, at like thirty some paintings of Vermeer. Every one that we know of was in this one place, and um, this was the start of our trip. It was unbelievable, you know. And so we 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 saw that. Then we saw a a whole show of um, Ewan Uglo's work right down the street. At Browse and Darby. Good gosh. Um, and so we then we saw that. And then so we went from London and then we went to Paris. And while we were in Paris, we went to the Musée d'Orsay, the Louvre. And I mean, that was an, an intense experience. You know, the main thing is that, you know, here are all these artists that we had seen in our history on these, you know, illuminated slides that have that have no sense of reality. You know, they're they're just illuminated images, and then the, from the books that we have. And here I am standing in front of these paintings for the first time, smelling the paint, standing where the artist stood. I mean, it's just it changed the way that I thought about the physical, you know, activity of painting, and and um, and it made me think a lot more about Latour, like the the qualities that he had in his work. And so here we're seeing all these amazing paintings. So we go to Paris, and then we um, take a train from Paris to Florence. And so we were in Florence. Um, at Saatchi for about a good month. And, and while we were there, um, all the grads from BG were there. And um, we were given a, a, this nice little penthouse that overlooked the city. And, and down the street was a studio that they gave us. And so we created um, our you know, work based on the experiences that we had. So David and I, we would go out into the landscape at least four times or maybe more a week and, um, and explore and make plein air, you know, paintings. And, um, and then we would come back to the studio and we had this long pose, um, still life that we both set up. He set up this really beautiful, um, baguette of bread. And I set up this sort of quasi, um, Uglo set up because I was just overwhelmed by Uglo. I mean, I was consumed by him. And, um, and so I set this Uglo set up and, and we just worked on that every night while we were there. And so while we were in Italy, we, we did a lot of exploring. We went to Pisa, we went to Siena and the most beautiful place in Italy that to this day consumes my mind <laughs> is, um, is Elba. We went to that Island, um, where Napoleon, I guess was exiled for the second time. And what a amazing place. And uh, we drove around the island and, and experienced that and did some paintings. Um, but, you know, after we, we finished in Florence and that program was over, um, we decided to finish our trip by going to Spain. 
So we went from Florence to um, Barcelona and um, went to the museums there and then finished in Madrid um, where we got to go to the Prado and um, I got to see a, a whole sh- – well, not a whole show, but several paintings of Antonio Lopez Garcia's work mm-hmm. in life and um, bought the most amazing book at, at the gallery that represents work, his work there. For a little of nothing, so we so so we got to see all the Spanish painters like Velasquez and um, and um, you know Cotan, the still life painter. There was a huge section on Goya, uh, and then after that we came back to Paris, saw some more work, and then get this, we get to London, and there is another retrospective <laughs> of Mirandi. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, this is beyond belief, and so. Um, you know, it just it changed it changed everything um, um, for the way that I think about painting. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like one of those reaffirming moments, like Absolutely. where everything kind of gains clarity, and mm-hmm. you know, you kind of know what you are being pulled towards, um, right? And so, did that kind of fuel what you wound up finishing finishing up with in terms of your your studies at BG? Well, that was the um, that was the summer um, of my, at the end of my first year, so I, I came back and finished. Um, you know, the following spring, but, but yeah, it changed everything. So when I came back, I actually started doing plein air paintings. Um, and that's what I finished with as my, uh, my, my thesis. I actually did plein air paintings and also did in studio paintings from life that were, you know, kind of delving into different ways of creating lighting in a painting. So I would do paintings under artificial light, like, um, incandescent halogen, uh, fluorescent, which is a really weird, acidic, you know, light to paint under. And so my whole show was like based off of like studios, studio still lives under all these different lighting situations. And then the landscape under all these different lighting situations, like during the rain, during the snow, you know, during the sun, during the the end of the day, the beginning, I mean, I, I was exploring light, the, the, and the most extreme level that I could. But, you know, we were talking about earlier, you know, that you maybe when you came into graduate school, you weren't necessarily, you know, sold that you wanted to, to teach. Um, you're, you're really driven in terms of painting. Was that something that kind of changed a little bit in terms of pursuing it after you left? Or um, how did you wind up becoming the, the head honcho, if you will, uh, where you're at now? <laughs> well, long story. But when I was in grad school, I, I, again, didn't have any interest in teaching. But Dennis sort of threw the class at me. He said, I want you to teach this class. And, um, and I had no idea, you know, what I was doing. And so I went in and I told them, I said, look, I'm, I'm an artist first. And I said, um, you know, I'm going to learn while you're learning. And I said, if we can have that mutual respect, I think this will be a great relationship. Well, it turns out that I love teaching. And, um, so fast forward, you know, to, while I was at CCAD, came back as an admissions officer. I was teaching there. I was recruiting, and uh, I was trying to paint. So um, I had a lot of irons in the fire trying to do all these things. And then we find out that my wife is pregnant. And so I'm thinking, okay, now I need to really get serious about this. Mm-hmm. Um, because the job that I had really couldn't support, it barely supported us as a, as me uh, with, with her and I, let alone, you know, a child coming into this world. So, you know, I, I applied to this position. And, um, it was a visiting professorship, uh, wasn't a person had just left and they were just trying to get someone to kind of fill the gap for a year. And funny enough, a friend of mine was getting married in Gulfport, Mississippi. And my wife and I, 
we're down there. And uh, I remember how hot it was. It was in the middle of July. It was. It felt like a swamp, like you were just breathing all this like warm, thick air. And I looked over to her, David, and I said, as long as I live, I will never live in the state of Mississippi. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm telling you, I am eating those words. Um, because two weeks later, I get a call and, they, and, and the University of Mississippi says, we, we like your application and we want you to come and interview. So I came down to interview and, uh, you know, everyone was so gracious and, and, and so welcoming. I had never experienced such, you know, a red carpet kind of ex- experience, but this was one. And when I, when I was on my way back to the airport, the chair of the department was driving me back and she said, I'm, look, I'm not going to hem haul around. We want you to come. And, and I, I'm, I'm sitting there dumbfounded thinking those words that I had just spoke two weeks ago were in the forefront of my mind. I'm like, look, what, what did I get myself into? And so my wife and I, we talked about it. Obviously, it was the best you know, decision, and we felt like we had a lead to come. So we came, and, and 10 years later, here, here we are. Um. <laughs> I know especially it's difficult when we're speaking with somebody that has such a long trajectory to kind of break down everything kind of becomes um, – a little daunting, but I do kind of want to maybe talk a little bit about the focus of the the work that maybe is on your website again, um, kind of representing a slightly slightly older thing than than your your current show. But just to kind of talk about that work a little bit again, it seems like those things that you were interested in in terms of pushing light, especially um, you know again looking over your work, it seems like something that has definitely kind of stuck. But let's talk about that series, and then we'll kind of okay. move on to the most current series. So, okay. um, these are all little setups that you have in your in your studio, right? Yeah, and in fact, um, what I do is I, I have this setup uh, that looks sort of like a, a theater stage, and so I have track lighting that can go literally in any position that I want, and I have a reflective surface on the bottom. And, you know, what I do is I, and I've, I've got this whole um, cabinet full of objects and things that I collect. And I'll just start pouring in like, you know, 50 or more objects and then start taking things away and seeing if I can find some sort of, you know, connection or relationship or contrast to form, color, you know, all those kind of formal things. But then also like something that there that goes beyond just a formal exercise where there's a real conversation or a narrative that, that takes place. Um and so that's kind of how I set them up, but I'm but I'm looking for a lot of things in these 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 paintings. There are a series called the the transitory reflective series, and so I'm interested in this idea of time and um, you know displacement of form of object, like it's 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 leaving its growing place and it's being nestled here in this um, inanimate space. And then you know so there's this animation that happens you know, through the process of, of, of taking the object away and, and, and placing it in this, you know, um, this liminal kind of space. And so are there any particular like stories in terms of like what, um, what certain objects you have that you've kind of compiled? Cause again, even just looking in your website, there's a, uh, there's an image of you in the studio and I can kind of see this, this one shelf area where there's just all <laughs> of this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's but, what I was talking about. I mean, what draws you into collecting something like doves or right. – because I'd, I'd imagine you just have tons of this stuff. Um, yeah, I do. I do. And there was a series that I did right before this uh, called the Family Series where I, I used these um, little birds. And, you know, I, I've collected them. You know, I'd go to antique stores or, you know, when we go on trips, I'd always kind of rummage through, you know, stuff like that. And, 
And I just find something that already had I, – I, I looked at them, and you could already tell that they were trying to say something. I mean, they, it was just so easy you know, for mm-hmm. them to, to speak without even doing anything. So I knew when a light got on them, a dramatic light source, it would really kind of up the, the, the voice of these objects. And so I, I did a whole series of using these birds and creating, you know, um, like little narratives, like this bird is a narrator and, and it's, he's telling you this scene of what's happening. And, you know, so they were kind of a stand-in, a real literal illustration stand-in for a person. What's interesting is that like these objects, you know, they're, they're taken from a lot of different places and they have their own history before I ever, you know, get them. And I think that's what's interesting is that, you know, I don't know what their memories are. I have no idea who's used them or what they've used them for, whether they've put them in this curio cabinet and, and, and or, uh, adorned them for years or, or they were just sitting in a kid's room or, you know, you know, and then they find themselves in these real inanimate spaces where people are buying them. And it, it's, um, you know, so you're, you're buying into that history regardless if you know it or not. It's, it's, that's kind of the, the fun thing about it is finding them. Well, and it's interesting because it, it strikes me as a little bit of a contrast in terms of the subject of the, the series that comes after because of the, the temporal kind of nature of, you know, painting things that are going to perish or right. kind of like um, eventually, you know, you're just going to wind up tossing, I'm assuming. But like, I'm curious, especially like in a, in a painting like this, uh, this painting eggshells, again, there's so much kind of reflected light and, and just so much subtlety. Like how, how big is this painting? And I don't know, could you kind of just maybe break down the process of maybe like how many layers or like what sure. what the time it might take to kind of complete this or how that works? Sure. Well, most of the paintings that are on the website, you know, took anywhere from three months to six months to complete. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're heavily layered. I use, I, I develop an underpainting that, um, you know, uh, it basically is a complete grisaille that, that shows the light source and, and where everything's placed. And then I slowly start working glazes over top of them, creating the form very slowly. And so the, the real characteristics of the form, like, um, some of the dents and bruises and things really aren't pushed until the very end. And so I'm working on kind of the basic masses of things in the, in the, in the beginning part, but the, the eggshells, um, is an interesting painting. It's, it's 16 by 18 inches. Um, and, um, it came after I had sort of taken a step away from some of the other work where if you look at like the artichoke and plum and the tangerine and apples paintings, they, they, they sit in a space that's undisturbed. It's, it's totally serene. It's totally quiet. There's a calm there. And I was, I had went back to the, um, an artist that had always inspired my work, which was Walter Tandy Merch. And um, when I looked at his paintings, and he created these agitated surfaces that created like a veil of atmosphere, uh, sort of a fog uh, of sorts um, between the viewer and his subject. And so um, I was really interested in, in, in creating this agitation on the surface that would then, you know, be, in, be a, a narrative to these broken eggshells. Like they, someone either dropped them or, you know, broke them. So that sense of like disturbance, like in this serene, you know, beautiful setup, I was really interested in. In terms of materials, I know artists can kind of be very, very particular. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have like very specific colors that you might use uh, from different paint brands and and, and things like that? Or again, anything that maybe a a painter would be like, oh my gosh. uh." Yeah. (laughs) I don't know that anyone would be very surprised by the materials I use. I I mean, I use, I love old Holland and, um, um, I use a mixture of old Holland and, and 
and gambling for my for my color. So the surface that these objects are sitting on, the way that I'm painting them is very physical. You know, I'm taking a palette knife and I'm literally smacking the surface or scraping the surface, marring, I mean, cutting into the surface. And to do that over these objects that I've spent three months on was was just crazy. But but I realized that there was something in the paintings that that I was really kind of getting precious with, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I knew that it was time to sort of really discard any any of that preciousness and and find a way to do it. And I think that was my answer for me, you know, for this painting. And and and, and when I did that, I, I started to see this this narrative in the paint itself versus the narrative only in the form. And that's what really got me interested in in the change. And is that what led into like the most re- the most recent series that you've been working through these prelude series? Yeah, absolutely. And it well, and and to back up a little bit, the the other paintings that are on the website, like the muscadine painting, and there's a new one that I think I sent you of the pear apples and cherries. There was um, a transitional thing that happened with I was painting these objects that were transparent, and so it pushed the idea that you know these things are moving out. So the narrative was in. In the, in the physical application of the paint there. But the, the new work, the Prelude series that um, I'm, I'm actually getting ready to show is it, it was a challenge because I was, I was teaching so much and I was, had the, all these administration positions. And, and, of course, my wife and I, we have three children, and so to find time to paint is, is often a challenge. But when I did, I, I realized I was so overwhelmed that I couldn't really calm down to make these paintings. I mean, these paintings really require a lot of physical, you know, prepare. You have to really prepare yourself physically and mentally to get into these, this little space to create this little information and really only accomplish about a half of an inch of information within a given three hours. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that was a real mental task. And so to break away from that, just to kind of, you know, get a, a, a better sense of, you know, my work, I thought I'll just do some studies, um, some one shots, um, every day to kind of explore the space that I'll use around the objects and and just you you know um, give myself a time frame of of an hour to finish them and um, you know just enjoy the act of painting right and um, so these these series came from from just just simply that you know observation time impermanence and and those are things that were in the work before and so I was able to capture them in more of a fleeting way so the mark then becomes like really important in these works well and I'm I'm just kind of curious because someone someone that might not know this or like a maybe like a student starting out might look at your work and just think that there's no anxiety in terms of uh you know, the, the way that you might kind of make it is it's kind of <laughs> scary to go from spending six months on something to spending a day and just going like, Oh man, this is garbage. Um, yeah. Well, you know, so just working through it. Cause I would think again, by now you've got how many, how many paintings do you have in the series by now? Oh, I have no idea. Um, so tons. <laughs> if they, I don't know more. Um, yeah, I, what allowed me to do it was that I didn't put any emphasis on those little paintings. I thought, well, I'll never show them to anyone. They're just for me. I'm not really worried about, you know, the exhibit of them. And they're just sort of me for, you know, as an act of study. And then what I realized as I was doing them is that they were really feeding me. I mean, they, they gave me energy when I didn't have any, and I was making these paintings on top of all the work that I was doing without any, without any real mental overbearance on, on, on the part of making the work. I mean, I was able to really just experience the act of looking again. 
and not worry about forcing it into this like perfected image. Does it surprise you in terms of as you're working through these, just because I would imagine that you kind of maybe want to be somewhat particular, um, <laughs> but then, well, you know what I mean? I mean, again, yeah. there's like a trick almost into something. Cause like if you yeah. normally have, you know, endless sessions to kind of get, um, you know, right. the reflection on a glass, you know, you've kind of got to work with this material in a very direct way. Yeah. Kind of maybe the way that you might do if you're working plein air or if you're kind of like working directly from observation in a short amount of time. Right. But is that something that also kind of surprised you in terms of like working through it? Um, I guess I'm mostly just kind of asking because I want to give myself confidence and thinking, <laughs> you know, somebody else feels like this about their work. But um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like in the spring, I did. 46 of these six by eight landscape paintings. Oh, wow. Yeah. I saw some of those. Those are really great. When I went in there, I was just like, this will be no brainer. You know, it takes me two hours to do a plein air painting. I'll knock right. these out really quick. And I get to the point where I'm doing like, you know, five, six hours into a little painting. Right. And I'm just surprising myself. Cause I'm just like, this should be done. You know, right. it's small. <laughs> it's smaller than a nine by 12, which right. I'd like to work at you know, like in that, that same kind of um, experience. So again, there's just something, you know, even kind of looking at them where especially like the way that you're layering um, certain areas or, you know, leaving brush strokes or kind of like sure. the way that you edit winds up becoming different. You can kind of see all these like thicker areas in your paint that also start to become kind of exciting, but also kind of, I don't know, speak to something else. They almost become abstract. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing where I'm, where I'm really headed with the work, not abstraction, but Certainly, the thing that changed everything for me, and I, of course, I don't know if I'm coming back to this work or not. I'm sort of not worried about it right now. Mm-hmm. But um, what's changed everything for me is that I, I've stopped looking at, I've stopped looking to replicate. I'm looking to understand. And so every mark is a reflection of my you know, observation. It's not anything else. And so I'm not just fiddling around to make the pedal look like a pedal. I'm trying to understand, well, how does that go from a, a light, light yellow to a warm yellow, then to a medium light warm yellow? And then how does that rest next to this background? And then the background feels like it's coming over the pedal. And so I'm making these adjustments, not really thinking about the form, but I'm thinking about the space and the air and the light and how it's changing. And so that's changed everything in how I'm thinking about the subject of my work. I mean, because it really could be anything. I, it, you know, it doesn't, it's not so much about the object so more, so much as, as it is now about this fleeting light or fleeting, you know, space that these things are inhabiting. Yeah. Are, are you painting these in the middle of the night? Like before everyone gets up and you got to knock nope. out a painting before you, <laughs> before well, you no. start your day? Or? <laughs> sometimes, um, sometimes in between classes or what I, what I, what I try to do, what I've tried to do is after I teach, you know, um, I'll come in when the light's almost gone and, um, and paint for about three or four hours and, uh, you know, no one's here. So it's, it's great. I, I can kind of get some quiet to, to make, to make these, these works. And, you know, I don't put a time frame on them anymore, but I know, you know, the time limit is certainly, um, a part of the painting process, but I'm, I'm not paying attention to that so much anymore because I can move through the painting and I know, you know, when it has that you know, ability to communicate beyond just, you know, a quick mark that the marks are actually, you know, communicating together to create that sense of light. So I know when they're done, but, and some of them take, you know, a half an hour, some of them take three hours, some of them take, you know, two days. 
and 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 depends certainly on um on scale too you know because i'm moving up in scale yeah what what size are these these uh, new series of paintings yeah so the ones that um that i just finished in the prelude series are roughly about eight inches uh, by eight inches and some of them are like 10 by 10 inches 12 by 12 inches and so they're all pretty small much like my other work which was sort of the reason that I did them. I wanted to keep at least something that was a commonality between what I had been doing and, and the new work. That So that made me feel kind of at ease to make the transition. And and it's funny because when I show this work, they all, no one really can see um, the hand, you know, in the relationship to the other work, obviously, because it's so different visually. But so this is the way that I used to paint um, as an undergraduate. And, and at the end of my graduate program was these little poetic marks of color and light and not really rendering so much. Yeah, and it's interesting, the the lighting, again, is dramatic. I mean, it's dramatic in the other series, but in a different way. Yeah. I think that's why I was asking you in terms of, like, time, because, like, again, for some of them, it just seems like there's just this little bit of light creeping in. Yeah. Yeah. But it really kind of, again, just creates, like, a different, again, I hate to say it, but drama almost, you know? Like, sure. it kind of gives, their, like, the, the painting a direction or a way to kind of look at it. Yeah. And again, I guess with the process being different, obviously you're probably working more on more paintings. Right. Is there a way that you kind of like reassess or kind of like, or are you just knocking out just as many paintings as possible, coming back to them, uh, deciding which ones kind of uh, get recycled or Mm -hmm. anything like that? What's the process in terms of uh, deciding like what you're going to wind up showing then um, since you're making probably presumably so many more? Right, right. So when I finished um, the preludes, I, I've started this new series. It's in the same vein, but I'm, I, I went back to, I was looking at Mirandi's work. I mean, I, I went back and I sort of wanted to understand more about how he was dealing with space and the abstraction of it, yet, you know, still making sense of the light in the form, right? And so I have this little setup that I have these, some bottles and, and, and vases and, and different things. And so I'm using, I'm, I'm going back and using those kinds of objects and creating these, these paintings where, I'm confusing the space. So, so in these new ones, the space is really, in fact, when you look at the paintings, it's actually, it takes a second for your eyes to adjust so that you can even tell where the forms are and, and what they're doing. Like, is it in the foreground? Is it in the background? And um, so I'm kind of doing some tricks with when, you know, when you're looking at a form and you follow around the contour of it, you know, sometimes if you change the background, like if it goes from dark to light to dark again, there, there's a really weird vibration that happens with with your with optically when you're looking at it because it, it will almost go forward and back at the same time. And Mirandi was sort of the man that could do that as like a master. And and so I'm playing with that at the same time. I'm trying to get the sense of light that I accomplished in the Prelude series. So the paintings are becoming less about you know the, these this beautiful object, more about the, you know this fleeting transitional you know, light that really it, it's in its last leg. And, 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 it, and the painting is sort of the capture of the very last leg of that. Do you think it's kind of like necessary for artists to kind of like move on from something? Do you think? <laughs> um, well, cause yeah. again, well, cause again, I mean, like you think about maybe the way students work through something again, there's like a lot of attachment to the outcome. Um, maybe especially early on in terms of studying. Well, I mean, again, to just kind of like to walk away from something or to kind of look for a new direction or especially to keep inspired, to kind of keep making. I'm just trying to 
getting at getting at that idea of like why someone or how someone kind of can keeps it keeps it exciting so that they're still they're still working yeah uh, you know for me david uh, um that's really all i can speak to but i think that for me i realized that there was something happening where i was out the process or whatever painting i was making was becoming way too precious Mm-hmm. And I had to find a way to break that, you know, because if you if you if you're so in love with what you're doing and um, it's not challenging the way that you, you know, see the world around you and, and just the, the simplicity of creation and making these works, you know, something is not there's something wrong there, you know, and I think that I was relying on my paintings more than they were relying on me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this quote that this artist said that I, that I really took to and and had thought about a lot. It said, um, the paintings rely on me. I don't rely on the paintings. They're just stuff. They do have some value to some people, but really anything that's any good will hopefully lead you to you, not the object. And so that's, that's really been, you know, the manifestation of, of this change is, I knew I was relying on this image to make it. You know, I knew people loved it and people wanted it. But there was something I'm like physically and mentally that I'm not able to do right now with all that I'm trying to, you know, to to balance. And I thought, well, that's, you know, there's got to be a way to continue the same ideas that I'm interested in in a different format that allows me to, you know, to continue being a normal person. <laughs> um and is that, it sounds like that's more affected by by looking and experience, like in terms of yeah. those changes, as opposed to say, I don't know, reading something that's very heavy or you know, right. kind of like writing out what you're trying to get at. It's it's almost like a, trying to evoke something sure. that that you kind of really res, resonates with you, you know, right. from a from a <laughs> from a you know a spiritual almost standpoint or you know something of that nature sure is which again i think a lot of people might kind of dismiss um oh yeah but since i've kind of worked i don't know in myself i not to make this about me all of a sudden but again i it's trying to understand it but for me again i realize there's that part of what i do as well too so i think it's interesting to to think about you know how people kind of make those decisions or you know how they know something is resonating with them as opposed to you know, resonating on a different level, which might be conceptual only. Right. Right. And, you know, you know, David, my, you know, my interest in painting is not, you know, is not a theory based It my, my, I'm more interested in the experience of looking and, and, and really seeing things that are common to every one of us, you know, and I just, I'm really interested in that. And, and I, I guess, you know, for me, I'm, what I'm trying to, to, to bring attention to is the eternal, like the thing that, you can't put your finger on that liminal thing that that separates both time and place and object. I mean, there's a wonderful moment, you know, when you experience something in reality or, you know, in the landscape or, or just in conversation that it, it's that mysterious element that you can't always describe. And, and I think that these new paintings have allowed me to, to get away from, you know, the, you know, the cliche of, of this representation of just recreating an object for the sake of doing that and really talking about this idea of something that's fleeting, you know, something that's transitioning, something that's, so I'm doing it through the physical properties of the paint. I'm doing it through the illusion of the image. Whereas before I felt like, you know, I was kind of using, you know, this vehicle of representation to, to do all of that for me. And, and I, and that's where I, I felt like, you know, I was having 
having problems with that. Super interesting. Again, I, I always love hearing about uh, people breaking it down for the, you know what I mean? Again, because I think that's something you really can't get out of a text, you know? Oh, I hope that makes sense. Love I mean. hearing it. No. Um, and again, just a reminder. So where are these, where are these paintings going to be exhibited? Where can people uh, check out your, your new work? Yeah. So um, uh, here in Oxford, there's, there's a gallery on the square called the South Side Gallery. And um, these paintings of the preludes will be um, exhibited there in a, in a show and it opens November the 3rd from 6 to 8 PM. And so it'll run through the whole month of November, I think to the 26th, the 28th. And I'll have about 20, no, 30 paintings in the show. Awesome. Again, that's gotta be pretty <laughs> exciting to be able to kind of look at everything. It always is, you know, like when, it, yeah. when it's kind of out of the studio, finally, yeah. And again, people can go check out your work. It's uh, p-jackson.com. Um, is there any other other things that you're, you got going on that you want to talk about? Or are you on Periscope, uh, you know, showing live streaming video while you're working on these or anything? No, you... not yet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> not yet. Um, I'm, I'm included in the this really wonderful show at the Jackson, at the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson, Mississippi. It's called the Mississippi Invitational. And um it's it's a show that sort of showcases contemporary art that's happening in Mississippi, and it's a from a juror um, in a museum in Boca Raton, and she selected my work for the show, and so I'll be I'll be exhibiting um, three of my works that are actually on the website, um, and one that's uh, a newer work there uh, upcoming here in December, and so my work will be there also. Excellent. Well, again, uh, thank you so much for letting me be uh, invasive this morning. It's nice to. Uh, finally uh, get a chance to talk about your work. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I, I appreciate the opportunity and, and, and really enjoyed this, this conversation, this dialogue about the art making. It's, it's, it's really a treat. Thanks once again to Philip for joining me. If you want to check out his new Prelude series, once again, that show opens November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. It's at the Southside Gallery in Oxford, Mississippi, and that show runs through November, so please go check it out. If you can't make it to Oxford, you'll want to check out his website, p-jackson.com. And speaking of announcements, I have a solo exhibition opening up at the Perkinson Gallery at Millican University. It opens December 1st with an artist lecture at 4 p.m. and an opening reception afterwards. So please come out and say hello. The exhibition runs through January 20th, and it's entitled Pembroke Lane. Again, based on the suburban neighborhoods that I've been strolling through with my wife uh, the past year or two. So again, very excited about all these new paintings. And again, I do apologize that it's put a dent in some of the podcasts but after this it should kind of clear up a bit if you like today's podcast and you want to hear more please check out studiobreak.com again we have a lot of posts up there to peruse again if we're speaking with an artist they usually have images as well as links to their websites and these lengthy interviews which you can listen to right on studiobreak.com but of course many people will choose to just hit that itunes link and subscribe to the podcast again it's a great way to stay up to date with new episodes so please go ahead and do that if you'd like you can rate and review the podcast again it just generally helps uh get more people interested in hearing about what these artists have to offer what they've learned so please help spread the word we really appreciate it of course you can also do that via social media so 
please follow our Facebook page and like it. Again, you can share artwork there, say hello, so please do that. You can follow our Tumblr account, that's studio-break.tumblr. And, of course, you can send all your tweets, all your art, and all your hellos to at Studio Break on Twitter, so please do that. Of course, we do want to thank Skylar Mail for providing the music to Studio Break. He is a multimedia talented artist, and you can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.com. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll talk to you real soon.